go to nlcchurch.com or check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Don't forget, Jesus loves you. Adios. Well, we are going to jump into the Word together this morning. Has anyone ever had something that was just uh, an unpleasant surprise? Uh, the other day, I was eating string cheese, and uh, we're that kind of sophisticated family, yes, and, uh, and I was eating it, and I thought, this is just not very good string cheese. And I turned the string cheese in my hand, and it was moldy all the way down. And I was like, oh, you know. And I'm doing everything I can to eat something that gets the taste of... Uh, you don't want blue cheese, string cheese. It's just not what you're looking for. It was an unpleasant, unwelcome surprise. And I didn't mean to just open the message with like just something so disgusting. But we've had those times where you go, that was unexpected and not a good kind of unexpected, right? Um, well, we're going... We're going to be talking about something that came up that was unexpected and unwelcomed here uh, that happened in Jesus' life. So we're in our path to Easter as Jesus is going down the road towards Jerusalem. But uh, um, before this happens, he's actually um, back at the Sea of Galilee. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. And most of Jesus' ministry was centered around the Sea of Galilee. And he kind of jumped back and forth from side to side. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them with me to uh, Luke chapter 8. Starting in verse 22, Luke 8, 22. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. So Jesus decides to go on a three hour tour and, uh, uh, this isn't just a pleasure cruise, right? Um, he's on a very specific mission, and this is something we could go into separately. He's going to the area of the Gerasenes, which is actually a good God-fearing Jew does not go to that area. They stuck to the northwest portion of the Sea of Galilee. That's where uh, the Judeo area of the, the sea was. You go to the east coast, that's called the Decapolis. That's literally, by the name you can tell, that's where Greek culture was. There was baths and things that they viewed as sinful. There was uh, uh, idolatry. There were pigs. That's the place you don't go. But that's where Jesus was sending them and he had a mission to go there. But we're not going to be talking about that too specifically today. Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going across the lake. So they get in the fishing boat. Now, fishing boats of that era were not large. They were actually pretty small. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, in 1986, archaeologists were able to dig up a first century fishing boat that uh, there was a, uh, a, a drought in the area and the Sea of Galilee water level dropped significantly. And this boat was one that they were able to uncover that very could, well could have been one that Jesus saw. Um, the this, they estimate the, the time to be between 100 BC to about 40 AD that this boat dates to. Um, pretty amazing thing. But this boat measures about 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and about four feet high to the gunwale. That means from the very bottom of the ship to the top. That's not just, that's not the amount that's like exposed above the water. That's all the way down to like the 
very bottom of the boat, the stern of the boat. So this boat is pretty small. Now that height is an important statistic, and you'll see why in a minute. But these boats were what they would take out to go fishing. And the fishermen of the day didn't go way out into the middle of the lake. They liked to stick close to shore. If you may have remembered, I preached a while ago about their fishing techniques. They liked to see the shadows of the fish under the water. They wanted to be able to see the bottom to see where the fish were. They didn't have sonar and different things like that. They wanted to know where the fish were in their fishing technique. So they were a close to shore type of fishing people. But Jesus says we're crossing the lake. So they get in the boats to cross the lake in verse 23. So they sailed across as they sailed across. Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. Now, This was one of the rare opportunities Jesus actually had to rest. Anytime he was on shore, crowds followed him. Word would get around, Jesus is here, and the crowds would swell, and he was constantly uh, preaching and teaching and serving and healing. I'm tired after noon on Sundays. I get home and I'm like, nap time. I can't imagine how tired Jesus was day after day, serving, um, pouring himself out. And so he was... He was bushed. He was tired. He got in the boat, fell asleep, but this storm comes down on the lake. Now, the Sea of Galilee is in a really unique geographical location. Um, It is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's about 700 feet below sea level. And uh, uh, the Jordan River flows down into it from the north, and then it actually flows out from the Sea of Galilee to the south to the lowest saltwater lake in the world, the Dead Sea, which sits about twice as deep as the, the Sea of Galilee, about 1,400 feet below sea level. And the reason it's the, uh, the saltiest is it doesn't have any output for where the water goes once it gets there. All, the only way water gets away is by evaporation. So um, this, this, the Sea of Galilee sits very low in this bowl. There's mountains that rise 2,000 feet in elevation right around it. But not only that, just 30 miles to the north is the summit of Mount Hermon. If you look at this picture there, you see Mount Hermon in the background. You can see it from the Sea of Galilee. Mount Hermon is over 9,000 feet in elevation above sea level. Um, You wouldn't think about it in this context, but there's an actual ski resort on Mount Hermon. Not in Jesus' day. They didn't go skiing. Jesus is like, let us go onto the ski resort and enjoy an afternoon on the slopes. No, uh, currently there is a ski resort, but they get snow up there and, and pretty good amount. So what would, what happens is there are large, uh, masses of cold air, of course, that form up there. It forms weather systems, and this cold air comes rushing down Mount Hermon, and it meets with this arid, warm temperatures that are in the desert area of, of, of Israel, and it's, like I said, just 30 miles. And so as the air rushes down and comes into contact with that warm air, it forms this turbulent air, and it's, it comes through the Jordan River uh, Valley right here, and almost like a, 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 like a vortex of air, and it rushes down onto the water, and it's not uncommon. And still today, of course, that these large storms whip up on the Sea of Galilee. Um, And it can cause waves on this small lake up to six feet high. Head height, as tall as me. As a matter of fact, I found a picture of a storm on the Sea of Galilee with a, a period boat someone took out on it during a storm, which... It's very brave and maybe very foolish, I don't know, but you can see the size of the waves that someone would be facing in a boat this size. Remember we said the gunwales of the boat are only four feet tall. Waves on the Sea of Galilee can get six feet tall. Easily overwhelming, especially if a crest of a wave comes over, overwhelming and swamping the vessel. And so they're out on this boat, Jesus is asleep in the stern, and... Suddenly the boat is getting swamped with water and the disciples, it says, the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. 
So the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are going to drown. The disciples were afraid because they had something to be afraid of. They were going to die. They said it as a very matter-of-fact statement, like, there's a chance we could die. No, they're like, it's going to happen. Just get ready, Jesus. This is the end. This is it. And uh, they were in very real danger. As a matter of fact, four of the men in the boat that were with Jesus were seasoned fishermen. We've talked about that, right? Peter, James, John um, were, 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 um, were seasoned fishermen that had been raised on the lake, on uh, these actual waters. And so when they, if they come to Jesus and told him, this is it, we're going to die, it was serious. It was serious. And so they didn't wake Jesus up with a soft whisper like I wake my kids up for school. Jesus, hey, hey, big guy, we're, we're, we're dying here, right? They're like, master, master. And I imagine the wind is just howling. And, and, you know, we have these very placid pictures of, you know, boats on the lake. Their, their hair is like plastered to their face. They're bailing water. It's going down and they're screaming over the waves. Master, master. You can hear in the repetition in their voice that this is a, a level of desperation that's on the boat. As a matter of fact, in Mark's narrative of the story, he includes that they ask him, don't you care that we are going to die? Don't you care that we're about to die? So, so they're, they're desperately waking him up. We are about to die. And, and it says this, when Jesus woke up, and it doesn't tell us how long it take for, took for him to wake up. Maybe it was a really sound sleeper. He's like, I mean, if you're, if you're sleeping in a boat that size and, and it's literally sinking, you gotta be a sound sleeper. So they finally get Jesus up. And when he woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Also, other paintings I've seen a lot of. Maybe you've seen this. It's Jesus standing on the prow of the ship with his arms like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like Gandalf. You shall not pass. You know, like this. He's, he's like doing battle with the wind and the waves. I like to think, it doesn't say that he stood up and did that. I like to think when he woke up, he rolled up to like an elbow and was like, peace be still. In the Hebrew, it's literally two words. Just two words. Or I'm sorry, in the Greek. Just two words he spoke. Peace, quiet. And suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. This word suddenly is vital here. It's so important. Because it shows that the storm didn't just move on. It shows that, that it didn't just blow over, right? We... we we can give it time and that storm passes over. But there was an immediacy. At the moment of Jesus' words, the storm was calmed and the waters were stilled. Have you ever been in a backyard swimming pool? And maybe you're like pushing on the sides of it or you're in it and you're like sloshing around. And then you stop and it's still just turgid for a long time. It's like sloshing around and it takes it a long time to finally slow down. But at the word of Jesus, boom, still. I can't imagine how that felt to have just instantaneous from the moment we are dying, we are going down, this is it, to suddenly, not a whisper of wind, not a single wave. Down to an elemental level, there was a great calm. And then Jesus turns to them and asks, where is your faith? And it says this, the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, the disciples were terrified, it says. This word is interesting because, it, did you notice it doesn't show up in the storm when the storm is going on? It doesn't say there was a storm and the disciples were terrified. 
It only happens once the storm is gone. That they experience terror. And Mark, the book of Mark, again in his version, he actually sa- he says they were absolutely terrified. The words are phobeo phobos, um, which, which means it's the origin of our word phobia, right? It's, they, they were experience, experiencing morbid fearfulness, utter terror at Jesus. Not at the storm, but at Jesus. They were utterly terrified when they realized just who Jesus was. You see, the, the storm event pointed to the identity of Jesus. That is the whole point of this story. That is the driving point of this story. Now, we are going to take some allegory and some ways we apply this in our life, but the main point of this story, and the reason the disciples saw this, was to point to the identity of Jesus. You see, this revealed not just the power that Jesus had, but it pointed to who he was. They realized the reason they felt morbid terror was they realized, I am in a rowboat with God. I am in a rowboat with God himself. You see, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a reincarnated Moses or Elijah. This is God. Um, in, In the way Jews understood the weather and especially the sea was that it was only God himself who could control these things. No one else could do it. Um, and Jesus spoke directly to the storm. He himself did. He didn't pray for it. He didn't do something on behalf of God for it. He spoke to it and it obeyed. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see Moses um, raising his staff over the Red Sea and it's in it parting. It clearly states before that God directed him to do this and he did it on behalf of God. When Elijah prayed for no rain, he prayed to God that it would not happen and God withheld the rain. But in this case, Jesus himself spoke directly to the storm and it ceased and they realized he's God. Look at the Jewish understanding of God's power and how it relates to the sea. In Psalm 65, verse 5 through 8, it says this, You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of nations. Psalm 89, 8-9, O Lord, God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You're entirely faithful. You rule the oceans and you subdue the storm-tossed waves. Psalm 107, 23, he spoke to the, wind, to the winds, or he spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. Whoa. That's from Psalm. That's from Psalm 600 years before Jesus. And here this happens. The disciples undoubtedly had heard this psalm. And they go, that's the God that's in the boat with us right now. They realize how mighty Jesus is, that he not only has the power of God, but he himself is God. The God who created the universe is sitting next to me. And the God who spoke the stars into existence. This week in our family devotions, we read about the size of the the universe God created. And it used the illustration of a quarter. And it said, if you were to look at our solar system as the size of a quarter, the earth would literally be a microscopic speck of dust. 
the earth. And I think the earth is pretty big. You fly on an airplane to the other side of it, it'll take you well over a day, traveling hundreds of miles an hour. But in, in our solar system, we would be microscopic, right? We would be epically tiny. But we have a planet nearby us called Mars that we've been sending rovers to and different space exploration vehicles to, right? And the rockets we send up there, when they're traveling through space, travel at 24,000 miles per hour. 24,000 miles per hour to get to Mars. And do you know how long it takes them? Seven months. At 24,000 miles just to get to Mars. If you were to want to get to Neptune, do you know how long it would take? At that rate, at 24,000 miles an hour, 12 years. That's in our solar system alone. We are but a speck. You think about how small we are, but then you, you grow that out. If you want to get to the next closest star to us other than the sun... That would be like this quarter, this is how big we are, and the next closest sun would be more than two football fields away. That next, that next star is called uh, uh, Proxima Centauri, and it literally would be two football fields away from us and our little solar system. And that's the next closest star. Do you know how many stars are in our Milky Way galaxy alone? They haven't even been able to count them. They estimate there could be about 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Then on top of that, they look and they say, and we think there are probably billions and billions of galaxies. And this God who created all the lights in our heavens, who created everything from a word of his mouth, is sitting next to them in the boat. This, this God who, who, who is, is, is this massive, is not just there when they need him at the speed of light. He's there at just a speaking of the word. You talk about how fast the speed of light is. It takes, it still takes the sun seven minutes to get its light to us. But God is here in a moment and he's in the boat with you now. The God who did all this is in the boat with you now. You see, the storm event pointed also to the presence of Jesus. It pointed, first of all, to the personhood of Jesus, who he was, but then it pointed to the presence of Jesus. You see, this wouldn't be the last time that the disciples were in dire straits on the Sea of Galilee. As a matter of fact, two chapters later in the book of Mark, if you were reading Mark Mark chapter 4 about this story, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus stays behind from the disciples to do some praying, and he says, go ahead and go cross over the the, the lake again. And they're like, oh, this sounds like a great idea, you know? And so they get in their boat, and they're rowing away through the middle of the night. He sends them in the middle of the night, and another storm comes upon the lake, and they're paddling for all they're worth, and and, and they're, they're in trouble again. And Jesus comes walking to them across the water. And they see him, and they're terrified. For one, they're sinking, now they're seeing ghosts. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, why don't you have enough faith, right? What does he say to them? He says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. This is the difference in those two stories. The first time, Jesus reprimanded them because he was already in the boat. I'm with you. The second time he said, have courage because now I'm here. Do you catch that? The presence of Jesus is what changed the circumstance. That's the difference in these two stories. Alexander McLaren, he was a a minister from the 1800s in England. He said this, true peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but comes from the presence of God. 
It's not the lack of storm that gives us peace, but it's the presence of Jesus that tells us that He is with us, that tells us that the God who created it all is with us now. Isaiah 43 says, Jesus says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. See, peace will not come through the contact list on your cell phone. Peace will not come through how many commas you can find on your paycheck. How many of us have ever said, I will feel a whole lot more comfortable and I will feel at peace when I get this amount. Peace won't come through a relationship or a degree on the wall. Problems are no respecters of persons. At the time of that storm, if Peter had a hundred million dollars to his name, would it have done any good to save him? At the, at the time of the storm, if John had all the wisdom of Solomon, if John was in the boat and he knew all the wisdom of Solomon, where would that have gotten them? You see, sometimes all the resources that we have at our disposal can't deal with certain storms in our life. There are times that Jesus actually, and get this, this is going to maybe mess with some of us. There are times that Jesus actually leads us beyond our means so that we have to fall onto him. You say that Jesus would never lead us into a place of discomfort or even danger? I say nay, nay. Whose idea was it to go across the lake? Jesus said, Get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side. Uh, It was Jesus who said, we're moving, we're going to the other other side. So maybe you've gotten really good at weathering everything you're facing, and you're a problem solver. That's how I like to think of myself, is I'll figure it out, I'll problem solve, I'll find someone that has the answer. If I don't have it, Google might have the answer, or whatever it might be. But let me tell you, there are times where we get to the end of ourselves, and now maybe God is dropping you into a place where you can't paddle out of it. Where you can't bail enough water out of it to get yourself out. And he's saying, okay, tell you what, when you've reached the end of yourself, just let me know. I'll be napping right here. I'm a word away, but let me know when you're at the end of yourself. And he's waiting on us to call on him. Psalm 50, 15 says, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. Call on me. When you were in trouble. The Lord never promised that we would never see a storm in life. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, he says, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. We are going to face storms. We are going to face situations that, that we can't figure out. But rather than telling us we will never, we will always be shielded when we become Christians. It's like suddenly there's like the magic hedge of protection that we never deal with anything. No, no, no. He's saying, when you face these troubles, take heart because I will be with you in the storm. He will never leave his children alone in the midst of their trouble. I, I, as I was studying, I, I was reading one person's perspective and they said, you know, Jesus was challenging the disciples' faith by saying they should trust him no, ma- no matter what their feet. Even if they drowned, that was, that was faith to say we just trust you no matter what. And I, I had a problem with that. They were saying, you know, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, you know what, even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow down to you. I, I can understand that, but here's the rub for me. Jesus said, we are going to the other side. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So if God has given you a word that he will see you through, let me tell you that there's going to be victory. If God has given you a word that you are going to the other side, you are going to the other side. Hold on to that promise. 
Hold on to that promise that He will bring you to that destination. He will see you through. We don't always know what that's going to look like. We don't even always know the means, but we know that He will deliver us. We may be passing through a storm, but it's a storm we don't pass through alone. So this morning, I want to ask you, have you been paddling like crazy and getting nowhere? Have you been doing everything in your power and your strength with your knowledge and your resources and your people skills and whatever it might be and you realize no matter how hard I work, it's coming up short. I can't do it. Jesus is waiting for you to say, I've reached the end of myself. I can't do it. Help me. I'm at the bottom. I'm going down. I need you, Jesus. Let me tell you, it's time to turn to him. He's waiting for you to call on him. He's waiting for you to call him. Of all the people that you could have on the boat with you, he's the only one that matters. He's the only one that matters. So this morning, can we bow our heads and close our eyes as we respond? I want to speak to those who have been living their whole life with the purpose of doing it on their own. Being a good enough person. If I do enough good, I'll get God's attention and he'll, he'll follow through for me. And you realize, I can't do it on my own. I've been bailing water. I've been paddling. But I can feel myself getting pulled out to sea. This is it. I need Jesus. And it's not something I can do on my own. But it's only through surrender to the one who calms the storms in my life. And this morning, you're ready to surrender to him. If you say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else in this room? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Jesus, right now, I pray with those that have raised their hands that said, for my life, I've been trying to do this on my own. You tell us that our own righteousness is filthy rags compared to what we need to be and right relationship with you. And first of all, to call on your name, we need to know who we call on. We call on the name of Jesus, who is the living God, the one who came and died on the cross for our sins, took our iniquities, took our failures, the choices we've made that have broken God's law, took it upon himself, died for us, but yet was raised again and is alive today. And so when we call on your name, we aren't calling on a historical figure. We aren't calling on a philosopher. We are calling on the living God who is alive today and available to us to give us freedom. And so right now, with every hand that was raised, I pray, Jesus, that you would set the captives free. Those of us who have been captive to our own efforts to try to fix things, our own efforts to try to be the answer, Lord, we surrender it to you. If you raised your hand, or maybe you wanted to raise your hand or you're, you're making this commitment today, I want you to pray this prayer after me and everyone else who's prayed this prayer. And this is a prayer of surrender to Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And it asserts that we believe who He says He is and that we will follow Him from this day forward. So repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe You're the Son of God. I believe You're the One who died for me, who calms the storms, who takes my sins, who sets me free and is alive today. So today I give you my life. I give you my heart. I will not live by my own standards. I'll not live by my strength. 
but I surrender myself to you today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, we've got a moment. I want to ask you this. If you have said, I'm in the storm. I've trusted Jesus, but I'm in the storm and I feel like I'm going down. And I need an answer to prayer. I feel like Jesus has called me to somewhere. He's, he's given me direction. I've heard his voice, but I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I need prayer. Will you raise your hand? Because I want us as brothers and sisters in Christ to gather around and pray for these. Will we, can we gather around those that raise your hand? Raise your hand and we want to pray with you. I see a hand over here. Let's gather over here and right here and right here. Church, let's gather around these that have raised their hand to say, I'm in the storm. Right now, I want us to put a hand on a shoulder. Get up and gather around these, church. Lord Jesus, right now, we come to the one who stills the storms, who speaks to the storms of our life, that speaks to the areas that feel like they are uncontrollable, the one who can control the things that we cannot turn turn or change ourselves. No one can change the weather. No one can turn the course of a life around like you can. We pray into circumstances, financial circumstances that seem insurmountable. Lord, we pray for divine, miraculous answers to prayer in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for relationships that have been broken. We pray for hearts that have been torn apart. Lord, we pray for restoration and healing in Jesus' name. The one who created hearts would restore hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we pray right now for those that are that are in a circumstance where... They, uh, they, they, they don't know where to turn. They're at a point in life where they say, I don't have the answer. There's, there's, there's just so many things that are pulling me in different directions. And even still, I feel frozen in fear. We pray against fear and anxiety and, and, and the things that would try to break us down. Lord, the enemy comes in to steal and to kill and destroy, but we know the one who sets us free. And so right now we pray freedom in Jesus' name. We pray liberty in the name of Jesus. Right now we pray that you would set the captives free. The storms in this world that would try to sink us. The storms that would try to end us, Lord, we pray for the calm to be spoken over in immediacy in Jesus' name. That it would not be something that we could just point to and say, oh, that just blew over. That just passed. But we would know that it was the hand of God, the hand of the living God, that stepped into my world and changed everything by His mighty, mighty power. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are alive today and you will see your word through. That you will see your word to completion. And we claim it in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you, I'm glad, church, that we are church that prays for one another. We aren't just islands unto ourselves. Lift one another up. Encourage one another. Walk together. Continue to pray for one another. We still are on the lake, and we still have a responsibility to paddle, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't calm the storm, and the disciples went, well, that's it. They still had to get to the other side. We still are working together. We are rowing together, right? We're moving forward, encouraging one another. Now... We're going to do our connection cards together. And here's what I ask. If you go to nlcchurch.com slash connect, use the QR code. I tell you every week, and I mean it, our elders pray over these prayer requests. We had, how many pages did we have this? Three pages of prayers and, and response that came in last week. As a church, we respond on our 
connection cards because we pray through for God's miracles to happen in your life and we believe that God does it. I love seeing the praise reports that come through on that because we see that God's not just, uh, that, that we're not just throwing prayers up to the ceiling and, or throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. God is moving and God answers prayer. So write down the areas of prayer that you need, the ways God's been answering prayer in your life. But here's where I want you to ask, uh, answer as well. Is there an area in your life you've been bailing water, but it keeps rising and you need to surrender it to Jesus? Is there an area in your life you've been doing everything in your power? You have been paddling against the waves and the wind and everything else. But right now you say, I need to just surrender this to Jesus. To come up to him and say, Master, Master, save me. Let's respond on that in honesty and in truth. And we will be, as always careful to protect your privacy and not share this but we want to as leadership in the church be able to pray for you that God will see this through this victory through amen amen there's something really cool we get to do right now as we finish up those connection cards if you're doing a paper one they're in the seat backs in front of you in just a minute we're going to do our, uh, our our tithes and offerings you can drop that in the bucket when it goes by if you're doing a paper one but uh pretty pretty cool this this morning we're going to receive our tithes and offerings tithes and offerings are a responsibility that scripture lays out that we're to bring into the storehouse a portion of what God has entrusted to us and um, ushers you can have a seat if you like at the front because it'll be just a moment before we receive it um, this morning I've got a great testimony we get to share with you um, we've been talking about the storms and the times that we need to trust God and I had a great conversation VJ if you join me with VJ she came to me a couple weeks ago and shared a testimony and I was like, oh, that's powerful. You've got to share that. And we were ta- going to talk about it more. And she came to me just this last week and said, Pastor Brent, but wait, there's more. And God share, uh, God's done even more things. So Vijay, um, if you would, will you share with us a little bit about what God has done and the miracles he's worked as you've shown your faithfulness to him? Thank you. Well, good morning. You know, Pastor Brent, you gave me five minutes, you know, and um, you have a lot of faith. With God, all things are possible, right? Okay. Um, so, um, in 2000, I'm just going to just give you a quick, it will be quick, a quick background. In 2021, the Lord, I finally figured out and surrendered to the Lord for his will for me. And he took me out of a job that had become my idol. And it was pretty sudden. I didn't have another job. And so I had no job, no income. But I knew that he had something better for me. So that said, um, it was just this last October that... And I had been looking for a job. And just this past year, looking for a job and looking to to follow his will for me, his plan for me. But um, at this time in October... I started having some medical problems. Um, I, I was having some severe abdomen, abdominal pain and was hospitalized for a couple uh, days. And it was ulcerative, something called ulcerative colitis. And there was a lot of tests, a lot of hospitals, two nights in the hospital, uh, very difficult time. And uh, he brought me through it. Um, and so far, praise God, it's all him, all glory to him. I feel like I've been healed. I haven't had any major issues or reoccurring issues with that. 
the reason I'm telling you this is because as a result of that experience, um, even with insurance, we ended up having almost just under $2,600 in medical bills that we were responsible for paying. And we had multiple, you know, you know how when you go, you know, you have labs, you have, you know, all these different, you know, agents or organizations and facilities. And I had the hospital bill, I had anesthesiologists, I had all these entities coming at me, sending invoices. And it was, it was overwhelming. Um, and it was about, oh, about, about three weeks ago, um, I was going through and I was paying bills and I'm kind of like Pastor Brent, you know, where I'm just kind of like, I'm on a mission. I'm, I'm an action taker. I solve problems for, I solved problems for 30 years in my career. That's what I do. And I just kind of got in, started paying bills. And I have a little spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet that I plug in our income. I plug in our expenses and I was looking at it and, um, I always have my tithes just with the, you know, with the mortgage payment and garbage utilities, all that stuff. And, um, I'm looking at the, looking at like four or five different invoices and they all want the money right now. They all want it paid in full. And, um, so one of them was quite sizable. One of them was almost $1,500. And so I'm going through my bills and I'm plugging in my budget and I'm plugging in the cells and I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's not enough here. There's not enough money here. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I played around with it a little bit and I thought, well, there's a smaller one here. You know, it's a smaller bill. And maybe if I just don't tithe this, this payday, I could pay that bill off and that one would just go away. I don't have to worry about it. And the enemy started working on me about that. Like, yeah, you could pay that off. You don't have to pay God. You don't have to put him first. It's just this one time. It'll be okay. You pay God all the time. So I just left it. I got up. I didn't, didn't actually write any checks or, you know, go online, and make any payments. I just left it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to leave this. But as I did that, God wasn't having that. <clears throat> nope. I didn't feel right. Here I am saying, you know, I'm going to put God first. You know, I'm going to represent. He's first. And he was tapping me on the shoulder. He was saying, no, you're not. You're not putting me first. When you want to pay off. You know, you just want to, you just want a nice, 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 clean little spreadsheet that balances. Yeah, that's the banker in me. But, um, so I, I, I just went to God and I, you know, I repented and I, I, I said, I'm sorry. You're right. You need to be first. I need to trust you. So I went back to that spreadsheet and I plugged in that tithe. And yeah, it was negative. The net, net spend, what I call net spendable, negative. And I said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I don't know if I'm going to have to call these medical labs and facilities and say, Hey, can I make payments? What can I do? I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And it's hard for me to do that because I am, I do have pride. I've always paying my bills. I went from making double what I'm making now. I never. I've, I've had periods in my life where I struggle, but I never 
ever had to go somewhere like that in the last 20 years, 30, 25 years and say, hey, can I make payments? That was hard. I had to like humble myself before God and say, okay, if I have to make payments, I'm going to make payments, but you're going to come first because you put me first when you died for me. And I never deserved it. So I did that. And within, I don't know if it was just a couple days. Well, prior to that, I will say real quick, I had a brother and sister in Christ bless me, bless us. They snuck some money in my purse. They knew we were struggling. They knew I was worried about money. I didn't ask for it. I said, I'm going to be, we're going to be okay. They did it anyways. I know God put them in, in my path for a reason. So then that happened. And then a few days later, it was fairly soon. I got a letter in the mail and that that nearly $1,500 bill for the hot from the hospital. I had submitted a few weeks way before that thinking that maybe I could get a reduction, but I, I had no faith that it was going to even go anywhere. I get the letter and I open it up and that $1,500 bill or nearly $1,500 bill, that letter told me of this almost $1,500 you're only going to need to pay $202. That was God. That was all him. That wasn't me filling out an application. That wasn't me thinking, oh, I got this all figured out. When those waves were crashing at me and the enemy was kind of coming at me, saying, you don't need to put God first. You need to, you know, you can do this on your own. God said, no, I'm right here. I'm in your boat. I'm going to take care of you. And you need to trust me. And it was hard. Like Pastor Brent said, it's not when we're Christians and we're believers. We don't just have those smooth lakes. We got the we got the storms. We got the waves. And he reminded me, I'm here with you. You need to trust me. I'm gonna get you through this. You're not gonna go down. And then not long after that. This is what I was told, Pastor. But after that happened, after I got that letter, saying I only had to, we only had to pay $202, almost $1,500. Then another brother and sister in Christ blessed us. Gave us $250. And I was able to use that $250 to, to pay off the bill that I wanted to pay off with the tithe money. So, and there's been other blessings, but I know I can't go past my five minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor that. Um, so I hope this encourages you all. When those waves are crashing against you, whatever they might look like, that you would remember that Jesus is in your boat and that we might fail him just as I started to fail him. We might fail him every day, but he's faithful and he will never, never fail you. He will calm your storm. Praise God. Well, let's give this morning. Let's give this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you are in the boat with us. That this testimony, that that you saw every penny through 
for Vijay that she said, I need to do this on my own, but yet you said, trust me. Trust me. And so right now, God, for some of us, this is a big act of faith. Say, Lord, I'm believing that you are really in the boat with me. I don't know where things are going to fall, how it all is going to work out, but I know you do. And so, Lord, we give this morning with grateful hearts, with thankful hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we give today. Let's stand together. Let's lift our voices and sing in response to this. Yeah.